Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the JPN Medical Alaha. Today, we'll be discussing principles of medical care on Shabbos. Um, and what that is supposed to do is just to try to approach more in life and practical cases and how we would go through it based on concepts we've learned and are going to continue learning um, in this particular lecture. Yeah, and as always, uh, my name is Mendel Jacobs, uh, MS2 at CD Downstate, and my partner today is... Mark. <laughs> Mark Enns, um, also on MS2 at Downstate, and um, yeah. And the topic of this week is going to be kind of um, probably the most practical side of this Shabbos series, because this is far from just going to be about a resident in the hospital is also really going to cover a big chunk of uh, civilian medicine, so to speak. Um, we're all going to be community members and people are invariably going to come up on Shabbos and ask us questions and family members are also going to need some of this stuff. Um, and this really is going to be the theme of today's uh, today's little chat is going to be about the treatment of non-critically ill patients on Shabbos. So this is going to, you know, we're going to go through a few clinical, clinical examples, but this is going to be a, a little bit of a departure from a lot of the topics we were speaking at previously, where, you know, we're talking about inpatient hospital patients uh, who generally have some form of a life-threatening issue. Um, all right. And as always, uh, this is for edutainment only. We really hope that what this does is give people a good foundation in approaching some of these uh, halakhic issues, but they're not meant to be a replacement for rabbinic advice, nor are they supposed to be a replacement in any way, shape, or form for any medical advice. Before we start, um, it might be convenient to talk about the legal philosophy of Chazal, as we're going to see a big portion of this um, of, of this little chat is going to be about how many Isurim Darabanan are going to be allowed in the cases that we're going to delineate. And so it's handy to figure out what is an Isur Darabanan. And when we say an Isur Darabanan, something that's rabbinically prohibited, uh, which rabbis in sp specifically are we speaking about? And so generally, rabbinic enactments um, that you'll find in Gemara and that are binding for all Jews, they were generally done in a, you know, kind of the generation before the, the Tanaic literature was, was, was begun. Um, a lot of this happened in the time of the second base of Migdash and by Shani, which really covered the, you know, the years, you know, the, the active years of uh, 200 BCE to uh, about the year 200 um, common era. Um, a lot of this is not going to be well delineated in any of the rabbinic literature that follows. It doesn't, you know, the timing of it wasn't as important. Uh, some timing of some years will become apparent, uh, but most of it isn't. And it's really not that useful to figure out exactly when each Gezerah was, was enacted. Um, the legal philosophy of Chazal was a bit of a departure from the biblical, you know, the, gen the general legal philosophy of, of Isur Deiraisa, things that are biblically prohibited. Uh, biblical prohibitions in general tell you what the bottom threshold for allowed or not allowed is. Um, so in, in our conversation about Shabbos, what constitutes work on Shabbos may be very different than your average English, you know, assumption of what work is. Uh, Work, on the other hand, from a rabbinic point of view, does sound much more human, much more relatable. And the purpose of that was that the Chachamim recognized that you could keep a biblical Shabbos, but really lose the spirit of Shabbos. Uh, and as you'll see, as a general, a gen a general philosophy of Chazal was, we're going to make rabbinic enactments that make sure that we can keep the people as close to the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. Um, and as we're going to see, that in, in certain cases, the spirit of the law 
is a bit of a luxury. So for example, if a patient's really not feeling well, the spirit of the law of Shabbos is not, you know, resting and having a spiritual experience is not really possible because the patient's in severe pain. So in those cases, the Chachamim didn't make a They didn't make an rabbinic enactment. So as we're going to see, it's not like we're superseding the Chachamim's advice. What we're doing is we're recognizing cases where things are just allowed because the Chachamim never uh, made exera. The way you're going to see it in some of the Rishanim, some of the original sources, is in a place of pain, the Chacham didn't make an enactment. Um, that's just a brief, brief introduction to kind of the psychology of and of, of a lot of the later sources that we're going to read. So just um just to briefly nail down exactly what we're saying is that because they were enacted in circum circumstances. <clears throat> And because those circumstances are not really applicable when someone is a certain type of sick, that's how we're going to kind of navigate going through, like being able to sort of transgress those rabbinic prohibitions because it's not a real transgression. They were specifically there under certain circumstances and being sick kind of removes those circumstances. Is that? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good way of saying it. Um, or, or just to phrase it again, just a little bit differently. Um, there are certain cases with Chachamim never made exera to begin with. They never gave you rabbinic advice. They never gave you legal jurisprudence in some, some areas. For example, um, someone who's fallen very ill does not need a fast on their rabbinic fasts. It's not that he's transgressing the fast by eating. The fast was never meant for him. Um, and that's kind of the same thing by Shabbos. There are certain things where there's exera drabanan. The exera drabanan was never intended to be applied to a case where someone was, was ill. Now, exactly what type of illness are we talking about? So we preface by saying this is a non-critically ill patient. Now, there are many different types of non-critically ill patients. You could have a cough. You could have you know, something much more benign. The type of chaylish embesakana that really makes it into the halachic literature is a specific type of patient. As a patient who is under some, so much pain that they're bedridden. Um, the way the Shulchan Aruch writes it, and again, this is just to define the terms of what a chaylish embesakana is, it's a chaylish nafal machmas chalil mishkov, someone who's in such pain that they had to go to bed. They had to, they had to, they, you know, they, they had to put their head down for a little while. In other words, they can't really function. Um, so a slight cough, you can still function, you can still get by your day. A severe cough or a severe migraine um, is going to be very different than a slight headache. Slight headache, you can't be mavater on 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 but on a severe migraine that, that makes you bed, bedridden, um, the chacham never meant to impose uh, any added restrictions to you. So here's some practical examples. Uh, so Shulchan says something that makes you bedridden. Uh, Rav Newbort in his Sefer Shmuel Shabbos which really is the authoritative document when it comes to a lot of this medical stuff, especially for the lay people. Um, so 99% of cases that uh, will happen, you know, just in the day-to-day -day life, especially in Shabbos, they're going to be in the Sefer. It's written under the uh, direct supervision of Rav Shmuel Zalman Arbach, uh, who was one of the, the the biggest, if not arguably the biggest, uh, Pesach in terms of medical of the last century. Um, so he writes a few examples. Uh, migraine, like like we said before, asthma, where a person's really out of breath, they, they you know can't really function. Again, we're not we're assuming this is not life threatening, but severe discomfort. Diabetics, um, whether they're very high or very low, you know, beyond it being potentially life threatening, in, in cases where it's not life threatening, they're allowed to they're they're, they're allowed to do a surgery abundant, as we're going to see. Uh, and children in general, though, the children we're going to try to address in a full conversation for itself. All right, so we're just going to work through some vignettes. And the purpose of this is, is not to paskin or to, you know, we don't have the tools really yet to figure out these cases. But as we're going to see in a lot of Hilfa Shabbos, when practical cases come up, it's really handy to figure out how to break down a case to its constituent parts. What we're going to try to do is we're going to go through a couple of vignettes and figure out what Isurim are actually involved. And we're going to try to figure out if these Isurim that are involved are of biblical nature or of rabbinic nature. 
that's going to be very relevant, as we said before, because where we can we have indulgences kind of in the era of rabbinic uh, rabbinic prohibition. We don't have any indulgences in, in terms of uh, biblical prohibition. Um, Mark. Yeah. So um, the the point of this would really be so. Let, let me you know little frame it a little bit. Our entire conversation is you know we mentioned in a previous lecture we have different types of sick people. We have and a few other categories. And um, what we're trying to address is specifically so we're specifically talking about patients who are are not um, you know in in danger like we've discussed in other lectures. And with that knowledge, we know certain things can be done, certain things cannot be done because they're not their life is not in danger. And so we have to identify what it is that we're trying to get done and whether or not like how that lines up with with us caring for them so right that, that's and then based on what we identify in these cases we'll further follow through with if it is their how do we navigate that because they're sick and so we're going to revisit these cases once we discuss all the differences in, in their abundant is that right yeah, so we're just going to try to break down these cases to constituent parts, figure out what the halacha questions are in these cases, and then we're going to figure out how to re how do we resolve these these questions um, later after we kind of go through the the basic the basic material. Okay, great. So let's um, I'll take a look at these. And again, in general, my role is is usually that I'm not as prepared and. I'm looking at this so I can sort of be the liaison for anyone watching this for the first time and doesn't have as much, um, you know, Shabbos and halachic background as, as Menachem does. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to take a crack at it. So let's see. Um, but before this, I would just say in general, when you approach a problem, we generally, it's smart and a good idea to look at what is the status of the patient in terms of, are they whereas we already sort of know based on our conversation, these are all patients who are not particularly, um, in danger, but before you would even look at a case, you would generally assume, um, that, that, that role is what you're looking for. Is the patient in danger and, and how much leeway do we have? Um, so with that said, let, let's take a look. Um, a community member has a migraine and, and needs medication. There's no air of. You go across town to get some from your medical bag and carry it back to the patient. What is serum are involved? Okay, so let's look at this. Um, community member has a migraine and needs medication. There's no air of. Okay, so if there's no air of, then you start to run into issue with carrying. Um, uh, the so little disclaimer, I have seen some of this before, just then helping uh, preparation for this lecture. But I, when I originally... Uh, heard this, I know there are components of carrying that are Daraisa and there are components of carrying that are not Daraisa. So um, I think it would be important to clarify exactly, you know, if you're what you're exactly, if you're going like across town, that can actually change. Um, so there's that one part is, is that carrying can be an Isser and it could be Daraisa Darabana depending. Um, there's also the issue of, let's see, you're carrying. There's also the issue of Tchum. Um, so it depends on how much you're work, walking. I think if, you know, if you're just going to get your medical bag and it's not too far from your house, that, that may or may not be an issue, but it should be probably something that has to be discussed. Um, and carrying it back to the patient is the same issue that we originally had, which is um, carrying, which again, can be depending on, on, on what the situation is. Uh, if we're talking about Rishis Rab and Rishis Ayachid. But I can say that when I first saw this case, um, I definitely thought it was impossible. There was no way that you'd be allowed to go across town, get your stuff and carry back. Um, so that those are my thoughts on the first case. Did I, did I miss anything? Um, any Asurim that, that may have to be addressed? 
No, no, I think this case is pretty straightforward. This is really, like you said, going to be either an issue of Tom Chavez, but in this case, highly unlikely because you're going across town. So Tom probably doesn't exist. Uh, it's not, not going to be an issue of Tom. Um, but the, the no error of your assumption is correct. Is this a case of a derisa case of carrying, which is specifically taken from Rishus Rabin to Rishus Rabin? Rishus Rabin has specific legal ramifications of what is a Rishus Rabin. Um, and yeah, that would be our issue. So looking at it, the layperson might assume that this is an issue de Raisa. Um, as we're, you know, just to, just, I guess, spoiler, um, all carrying pretty much is going to be an issue de Rabanan. Um, when we say all carrying, we really mean, it's very hard to figure out a de Raisa case of carrying, mostly because a has very specific legal requirements and it's very hard to find a Rishis uh, in 21st century, uh, you know, life. Um, so practically, this is going to be an issue And our question is, is this migraine enough of a justification to be to violate an issue And is there any specific way I need to violate an issue if I was going to try to get medication to this patient? So approaching the second case, let's see. So your grandmother needs a refill on her rheumatoid arthritis medication. Without her treatment, she is in severe pain and has a hard time being mobile. So just right off the bat, um, that already makes it a lot clearer that this can like refer to a patient that we were discussing before that a whole shame was kind of sort of like in a really bad position and then they could even be immobilized. They have to lay down. Um, I think in Shmir Chavez, he, he mentions that Rafua, he talks about um, patients that Rafua can be an issue giving someone medication. But I think he mentions that if they're in this type of situation, the way it's described here, where they're immobile and have to go lay down, that Rafua is also not an issue on Chavez. So it's not something we mentioned in the first case, but and um, but it seems like in this case, for sure, it's not a problem. Um, and then, are you allowed to go to Walgreens, get a refill, and pay the copay on Chavez? Okay, so this is a little bit more complicated. From my understanding, you're still going to run into the issue of carrying, um, just because you're going to be going to the store, not the store. Um, you have the issue of money. So... Um, depending, I think at first, when I first heard this case, I assumed that selling and buying on Chavez was Derisa. I don't, I no longer think that's the case, but, um, at, at least at first glance, thinking of going into a store on Chavez is just so like wild that you assume it has to be Derisa. At least that's what my thoughts were. Um, you also have the issue. This is kind of a smaller one, but when you go to the store, at least I know that like when I've walked in Flatbush, like. Sometimes you walk next to the store and accidentally like the electric door is just open. So that could be an issue, but that would also, I mean, that is Darabanan. We know electronics for the most part, Darabanan. Um, so, so those are the issues I'm seeing. I'm seeing the carrying, I'm seeing the money, I'm seeing certain electronic issues going to the store. And um, yeah, and then Rafua would, could technically be an issue, but we know that, that based on this situation, that, that wouldn't be. Yeah, I'm glad you bring out that bit about Rafu and Shabbos. So Rafu and Shabbos doing a medical action on Shabbos is considered an Isidur um, and, and, and the reason why I didn't really bring it up, because being that the whole thing is Isidur we said that that really doesn't ever come up to be an issue in this class of cases. In the class under this, that's to say something that's much more minor, like a headache, a minor headache that you can still push through, a minor cough you can still push through, a, you know, a, a slight sinusitis. Uh, that becomes an issue. Um, but again, that's beyond the scope kind of of what's relevant to future clinicians. Obviously, it's relevant for individual citizens, so to speak. 
and we are also, you know, we, we also have to keep shops regardless uh, in our private lives. Uh, but that being said, it's beyond kind of, it, it's not really a medical law question, more of a regular law question that should be, you know, spoken over your local Orthodox rabbi. Um, and I say that because there's different people pass in different ways about what class of things you're allowed to do and are you allowed to continue medication? Are you, are you allowed to start a medication on Shabbos? And there's, there's, there's a gamut of, of, of acceptable opinions and, you know, didn't really want to get into that. But yeah, so here we, we have the Shiloh, firstly, of carrying that we, we're going to have to address in the previous one. We said practically, uh, practically, it's going to be a Durabanan, um, un unless you know for sure that there's a Durabanan, which again, in the 21st century is hard to come across. Um, going into Walgreens, so you do have the issue of the electric doors. You can try to get around that. You can try to walk in at the same time with someone, someone who is not Jewish. So it's not you that's activating it. But like we said, electricity in general, especially according to Shem Zalman, even though it is a contentious issue, it generally is erring on the side of being a Durabanan. Um, and then getting a refill by paying with copay, right? So either you're going to end up paying with cash or you're going to end up paying with a credit card. Um, so you're going to also have to carry the funds. And not only are you going to have to carry the funds, you're going to have to get someone to engage the electricity. Again, we said that's a Jerobanan, but is Mechachamemke a derived Jerobanan? Like Mark said, it is, a, it is in fact a Jerobanan. It was a Xera of Ezra Nehemia. So it's probably one of the earliest, uh, you know, Xeris Jerobanan that we kind of have on the book, but um, it is technically a technically Jerobanan. So I just want to... I just want to point out one thing for anyone who's like seen our previous lectures and we talked about the, the categories of a sick person. And then when we said like a we really said like, oh, this is someone who's in danger and you're really allowed to do a lot for them. And then we said someone who's not in danger. Um, but that that's kind of a big, you know, just because we touched on the idea of Rafua and how that for, for cases that would be not as um, bad as this one where someone isn't totally immobile or bedridden, um, those are not really what we're talking about when we say So just because you're not in danger doesn't make you into this category of like, Rafu is totally fine and Darbanans are totally fine. But within our conversation, we're talking about the specific type of Shimbo Sakana where, where they really are sick. It's just Shimbo Sakana. Is that? Yeah. No, that's a really important caveat. And I really hope that the, that the first few cases, especially, you know, that in, in the slide, you can see the case from the, the, the you know, the written word of, of, of Rav Newbort from Shemir Shavskal. So he does a really good way of defining that. Um, but yeah, most slight headache, slight issues are not considered Those have a different classification in Allah. They're called Michosh Alma, which is a slight annoyance, right? A slight grievance. Um, and that's, that's not the, that's not, that's not the, the, the topic of today's conversation. All right. Um, so we basically just defined our terms. We defined our terms and we did a little bit of a, of a practice run through trying to um, take the anatomy of different cases and break it apart to figure out what our question is. And that's really the lion's share of the difficulty when approaching Shabbos questions. Uh, obviously, this needs to be done under the tutelage of, of a Rav, which this is not uh, in lieu of that. Um, but it is it is helpful to understand the process. So when a person does ask this question to a rabbi, a competent a competent rabbi in these in these matters, they understand how to present it and understand what questions the rabbi is trying to get at. Um, so our first, so as we, as we try, we we try to go chronologically between between the sources. The first time you really see this set of conversations is going to be in in, in shots. Obviously, the mission doesn't really talk about it as much, uh, but you really get into this case law uh, when you're when you're talking about it from the Gemara uh, Gemara and on. So our first case from the Gemara is going to be from Ksuba Staff Daf uh, Samachamad Al, and in just a word on the case. So the, the, the case is going to be called Hageneach Mikavlev, someone that, that's really coughing because of a heart issue. It looks like this is describing some sort of a viral illness. Uh, and the remedy for that viral illness before you know the advent of modern antivirals was uh, goat milk. 
that or some other sort of bovine milk. And and they 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 recognize that if you uh, if you if you drank very very fresh um, goat milk or bovine milk, that it would lessen the symptoms and severity of <clears throat> of the symptoms that you'd be having. And this is, funnily enough, actually backed up by modern basic science. This is a, a study done from, I think it was Tel Aviv University. They, they just studied, and it a study that came out in clinical nutrition, um, it came out in June 2021, about the antiviral properties of goat milk. Um, so potentially, if you're talking about a heart issue and a virus, maybe one of the Coxsackies, um, the Gemara didn't really get into it, and the Gemara definitely didn't have sketchy, so I don't know how the Chacham could have remembered that. But um, Tanya, Rabbi Mornish Eimer, Geneach Yenik Chalab someone who has a status of Geneach, Geneach means they have a, they're having a terrible, uh, terrible cough or a terrible, terrible issue, he's allowed to, uh, he's allowed to suckle from a goat on Shabbos. Why is he allowed to, the Gemara explains, because you're taking milk out of this animal in a non-normative way, and as we explained in a previous lecture, uh, malachas on Shabbos are only are only us or work on Shabbos only us or if it's done in a normative way. Um, and being that you're extracting milk in a non-normative way, what was once a iser deraisa is now only an iser And in the words of the Gemara, of makom sara never made a, a a rabbinic enactment against doing things on Shabbos. In the case of tsar, in the case of uh, in the case of pain, Rav Yisuf says halacha Rabbi Mirnius. The halacha is like this this uh, this this opinion in 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 Mara. Okay, so that's our first case. Our first case basically it's as long as it's dirabanan, um, it's done with a shinui. From what it looks like in this case, it would be allowed. There's another case that's brought down in Shas, and there's really three or four or five Gemaras that really co keep coming up in the literature. They're hard to go through, and there's a big argument amongst the primary and even secondary sources. Uh, that being said, these are kind of the two uh, clear Gemaras, and our first one said you're allowed to do a Jarabanan. This one's going to take take a little bit of a different angle. So Amemar. Amemar was a, uh, he lived he lived, uh, he lived in Babylon, um, one of the more um, influential Amaraim lived in kind of the first few generations of Amaraim. So he had a terrible eye pain on Shabbos. And what they used to do is they put, put some sort of a colored salve on the eye. Now, the issue with that was that it was uh, Tevea coloring the eye, similar to makeup, is also on Shabbos because you're not allowed to color things. And that's an Isidurai, so that's a biblical prohibition. So what he did was he asked a guy, someone who isn't you know, bound to the laws of Shabbos, he asked, he asked a Gentile to put it on his eye on Shabbos. This is followed up by, by a little statement. Rav Nuna says, Anything that is not of critical nature on Shabbos, you can ask a guy to do it. So two classes of, 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 of um, two, two kind of directions to permit these actions on Shabbos. One is to make sure it's a Jerabanan, and two, to make sure that someone who's not banned by Shabbos is the one doing them. This is from Gemar Beitza, Daf Chabbezam and all. All right. Now, <clears throat> these cases seem clear cut. As we're going to see, in the in the in the in the analysis of the Rishonim, um, the Rishonim have a, a, an incredible difficulty with this, and we, we see um, we see two real opinions that are going to come up in, in practical halacha. In truth, there are probably close to a dozen opinions, but these two are going to be voiced very prominently in the Shulchan Aruch, uh, and they're going to make its way down to contemporary Pesachar. So we're going to we're going to spend a moment on it. So the first is the Ramban. The Ramban lived in uh, born in, right right before the 12th century. Um, he passed away. He passed away on, almost in the 13th century. Extremely influential in terms of uh, in terms of the Sephardic Sephardic Rishonim. Um, everyone really in the Sephardic from the Sephardic Rishonim and on are, are, are experiencing their opinions and they're making their opinions in context of the Ramban. And being that a lot of our halachic literature is really Sephardic literature, Chaber, um, Rashba, you know, Rush, Rif, um, this really does take a you know, takes a big chunk of the conversation. So he he looks at this case and he says, really, what's happening in this case? Um, 
is um, and just to read the underline. What is allowed in, in this case of a chayshem b'sakan shabbos? And again, he defines it as person who is bedridden. Um, You're allowed to do a mlacha if it's done with a shenay. Now, I, I read through it really quickly and I mumbled over it because because the exact reading of what he says is going to be a, point, a big point of contention amongst the Achrenim. So there's two ways to read it. One way to read it is you're allowed to do a Jarabanan with a Shinai. That's to say you're allowed to do something that's, biblical, that's rabbinically prohibited, but you still need to do it in a non-normative way. Another way to read it is that you're allowed to do a biblical Isser in a non-normative way, which again is a Jarabanan. Now, those are going to be two very, very different angles, and that's going to allow us to do things in very, very different ways. And obviously, the second way of doing a Jarabanan with a Shinai is going to be much more permissive. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to get back to that. But again, there's a bit of ambiguity in this Ramban, but all we know from this Ramban is you have to do the action in a non-normative way. So the Rashba argues with them. Just yeah. like to, based on, you know, I don't, I don't know how many people follow our lectures or have watched previous, but we've discussed in the past just a basic concept that um, when you do something to Arisa and you do it in a non-normative way, right? We know that as a Shinoi, for example, using your pinkies instead of your hands to do certain things, um, that immediately makes it a Darabanan right? And then there are things that are just inherently Darabanan because they're not stated that Daraisa, that these are issues. So we know electronics are to begin with an issue Darabanan. And so doing uh, um, a Shinoi, doing something in its non-normative way for Darabanan is Darabanan like once removed. Whereas doing a yeah. Daraisa with a Shinoi is a Darabanan. And so the, our question becomes, or what we're trying to get at really is that we know that someone who's sick, but not in danger, which is where all our conversation of this lecture is taking place. Do they have to do a Darabanan in the sense that that's a, just a daraisa in a non-normative way, or do they have to do a darabanan and then on top of that do it in a non-normative way? That's where we're getting at. That is where we're getting at. And you're gonna you're gonna ask, wait a second, didn't the original source, the Gemara in, in uh, the Gemara in Ksuba say the makim sar legaz rabbanan? And that, that's really what the next opinion is going to opine. So how, why does the Ramban, you know, take this, like Mark said, that you're going to have to do a, a Jarabanan once removed, right? What's the, what's the legal philosophy that's, that, that we're, we're going to try to address that in, in a later source. Um, but again, that was a big part of why this Ramban was such a hard read. The Rashba lived in the generation exactly after the Ramban. He was actually, you know, in the literature, he's considered a Talmud of the Ramban. He lived in the same area, uh, Barcelona, Catalonia, Aragon. So they had great, they had great culture and they also had great weather. Um, so their quality of life just anecdotally was, and, and completely off on a tangent, was a lot better than your average uh, Ashkenazic Christian. Um, so he, he says there, he, this is actually a beautiful trivia. Um, well, you know, you, you can read it on the inside and it's, it's written in something that's very close to modern Hebrew. So it's honestly a pleasure to read. So he says, what are you allowed to do? You're uh, a Yid's allowed to do a Jarabanan even through Yisrael. So that's to say he, he, he goes against what the, his, his teacher the Ramban said. He says that a, a Jarabanan doesn't need to be done with a Shunay. A Jarabanan can be done straight. You don't need to do a Jarabanan once removed. You can do a, a Jarabanan straight. And again, voicing the voicing what our Gemara said before, Makun So again, just to reiterate this, because it's going to come up you know, from now again, there's only two opinions that really matter when it comes to this. There's the Rashba who says the Drabanan is fine without a Shinoi. And then there's his teacher, the Ramban, that says a Shinoi must be used even with a Drabanan. And again, we said that the, there's a bit of ambiguity in the Ramban that we're going to kind of explore right now. Um, so the, when, when this is brought down to the Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch brings down four opinions regarding what you're allowed to do for Chilash and Bissachan on Shabbos. Now, this is very uncharacteristic of, of, of the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch usually brings one opinion, the Ramban usually argues with another opinion, and that's generally how things go. 
when he brings four opinions that really that really shows that the, in his time in his generation there wasn't a clear consensus and that any one of these four opinions were considered within the realm of what was acceptable that being said he did have a personal favorite and he quotes he says the different has far he says the third opinion that i quote which happens to be the opinion of the ramban is what he follows so here we see that there's um, that you can kind of use any one of these four opinions as we're gonna as we're gonna see in later authorities. That being said, we give precedence to the third opinion. So if you can keep the third opinion, that's considered uh, de facto the opinion of the Ramban. That's considered uh, the, the best case scenario. All right. So in defining what the Ramban's opinion is, again, can you do a Durabanan and the, does the does there only a Durabanan is only a Durabanan allowed with a Shine or are you allowed to do any uh, Deraisa as long as for the Shine? That's to say the action itself needs to be a Shine is a matter of, 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 intense, of intense argument. And we're gonna bring um, two people that, that kind of argue this point. That being said, that there's many people on, on both, many more people on both sides of this argument. So start, start chronologically with, uh, with the Shulchan Harav with the Alter Rebbe. He says, he reads the, the, the Ramban a little bit more uh, literally. And he says, based on our, our, our case, Ganeach, Mikhev Lev, a person's allowed to, allowed to suckle from a goat, that itself would be an isa The isa though, as long as it's under the shinai, is allowed. So in other words, you're allowed to do deraisa with the shinai. That's the way he reads the Ramban. So he follows the third opinion of the Mechaber, of the, of the Reyes of Cairo. He just reads it in kind of a, a more, perhaps, traditional way. The Mishnah Burr argues, and he says no. He brings a few, a few different opinions. He says the, the, the third opinion is the one we take. That being said, the third opinion only allows us to do a Durabanan with a Shinnah. In other words, like Mark said, to do a Durabanan once removed. So the Alter Rebbe is saying you're allowed to do a Raisa once removed, and the, the Mishnah Brewer is saying you're, allowed to do, you're only allowed to do a, a Durabanan once removed. Now, I bring it as a conversation between the Shulchan al and the Mishnah Brewer. In truth, uh, siding with the Shulchan al was uh, Tila David, uh, Egle Tal, um, uh, these are figures that span more than just the Hasidic world and more than just the Lichtish world and more than just the Sephardish world. Um, so you really do have a lot of people, no matter which walk of life you come from, to, to follow this, this more permissive opinion. That being said, for those that are, are, are very much, uh, you know, have a lot of filthy towards Mr. Burra, um, it, it is really worth re recognizing that he does take a more Mahmer opinion. Now, if, well, if you can just, sorry, if you could go back one slide. First off, maybe you can just orient us to the pictures on the screen. <laughs> So I, I think everyone can see the Chavetz time here, right? This is uh, this is this is Mishnah Bura and all his glory. This is probably the most uh, well-known picture of him. This is a lesser-known picture. Um, this picture was was you know, it, if anyone knows Crown Heights well, it's on the corner of Carroll and um, Carroll and Kingston, and you gotta love Crown Heights for its own really unique version and brand of graffiti. Um, so it's right across the Kalen Mikvah. So if anyone's going to use the Kalen Mikvah Kingston, that's right at the corner of Totally Her, you're, you're going to see this uh, beautiful picture of the Altareva. I don't know if this is really approved by the real Hasidic scholars. Um, I like it, though. Um, and just to clarify, based on what we're walking away with, I mean, we have a, we have major opinions, not just Altareva, but major um, uh, heavy hitters who are saying that you really can't do a Dura with a Shinoi and that's a Dura Banan and that's and you could read that into the, the Duramban, correct? And so that, that you could obviously from this lecture you can't walk away with that but when you approach uh, a Rav a, a lot of them can rely on on that regardless of of sect of Judaism regardless of being uh, Lubavitch or, or being Ashkenazic or, or Sephardi in, in terms of if you did want to be a little bit more machmer and go uh, and then whoever you were asked in a, a whole like Mishnah Bura, that would ultimately exclude you from doing things that are Dara with a Shinoi, meaning it's only permissive if it's a, already a Darabanan and you're doing it with a Shinoi. So a, yeah. a direct Darabanan, like regular electronics of the day, would actually really not be okay. 
Yeah, and, and potentially that might also be an issue. There are opinions that are more stringent saying that electricity is derisa. And in that case, you really would be put in a bit of a bind. Meaning if you happen to hold both of those formers, that, that could be a little more difficult. Um, that being said, most Rabbanim will be a little bit more um, permissive, recognizing that when someone's in severe pain, it might not be the most appropriate time to really figure out every formula that you can use. Still, we're, we're left with a bit of a question. According to the, the way the Shulchan Aferav and a lot of the other Gdalim read the Ramban, it seems like there's a bit of a a bit of a, a lack of synchronicity, so to speak. It seems like a little bit of an odd matchup. It says that you're allowed to do a Durabanan, but the Durabanan itself needs to be under the Shinai, and you're allowed to do Duraisa with the Shinai. So wait a second. If you're allowed to do a one step off, kind of a, a Durabanan, a straight Durabanan, why would you need to do a Durabanan with a Shinai? And the Kseser Shulchan really uh, looks at this logic. The Kseser Shulchan was a, was a rabbi who lived in Eretz uh, Yisrael. Right, he, he was alive during the times of Mishnah Burr, but he lived really kind of right. He wrote his Sefer right after, and you can quote, see the Mishnah Burr quote a lot. And he says the logic is that Makam Tzara Legaz Rabbanim. Whenever, whenever there's a moment of pain, the Chacham said, you know, we're not making Xerah to, to impede what you do. We don't want you to be in pain. That being said, what we are afraid of is that this becomes normative for you. What we are afraid of is that your action will become a habit. And so though we don't want to make Xerah in your case, we want to make sure that you're doing it in a way that's not going to become habituated. So we don't want you to become habituated to using this Heter. So therefore, we're going to demand you even do a Durabanan with a Shunay. Because being that doing it with a Shunay is inconvenient, in your mind, you'll never become habituated to doing this action. So it's almost the, the, the Durabanan, even a Durabanan, needs to be done with a Shunay so that later on, the Xerah is really applying to later on, you don't have this habit of being over an Durabanan. And so therefore, it doesn't matter if it's a dress, it doesn't matter if it's a Durabanan, as long as it's being done with a Shunay, a, you're not going to become habituated, and two, it's just a Durabanan, so you have that, you have that header. Now, there are certain cases, it's just not going to be possible to use a shunit. One possible case is if you're trying to, if you're, if you're trying to get a rectal temp on, on a baby, right? It's very hard to use a shunit, and I would argue, maybe you shouldn't use a shunit in that case. If you're trying to, you know, get the thermometer where the sun's trying with your elbows, that might not be the right time to use a shunit. And in that case, it's really helpful to look back at our shulchan our Shulchan Aruch brings, brings four different opinions. The first opinion that he brings is actually that of the Rashba, that a Durabanan can be done without a Shinnah. So where, it's, where it isn't possible to use a Shinnah, there are other cases that you can kind of be creative about. Uh, in those cases, you don't use a Shinnah. And this is, uh, you, you follow the opinion of the Rashba saying that any Durabanan can be done as long as, as long as, uh, as long as it's Durabanan, it can be done even without a Shinnah. The Mishabura quotes this, the, the Mishra Feinstein quotes this, and the Chai Adam quotes this, all saying that you're allowed to do, uh, you're allowed to rely on, on the opinion of the Rashba in a place that you don't have another choice. Um, all right. Now, the Nishram Savram, who again is a Talmud of the of the Rishon Arbach, he goes back to our conversation that we had right before. So we had our conversation before we, we presented it as an issue between the Alter Rebbe and the and the, the Mishabura whether or not you need to do a, you need, can do it to rise with the Shani. And he quotes Rishon Zaman Arbach, and he says, "Since all these 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 original people, um, and he quotes the Tiladav, the Aglitzal, the Shulchan." And the, and the Shulchan Acharav, since they are all matter in a case of a derisive done with the Shunay, he says, first, you're going to try to ask a guy to do it. But if you can't ask a guy to, to do the action, you're definitely allowed to, you're definitely allowed to follow, their, follow their opinion. And so in a case where someone's in pain, Nishra Savram, Nishra Zaman Arbach, and kind of everyone, the Shri Shabbos, they all quote this idea that you can, you can be makal and do a derisive with the Shunay. So... Um, I mean, before we return to our original cases, if you're doing, a, if you have to do a Daraiso with a Shinoi, but it's an act that can't be done with a Shinoi. Uh, you're not allowed to do it. Then you're not allowed to do it. That's only Darabonin with the Shinoi. 
but you can't do the Shinoi, so it's fine. Don't don't do the Shinoi. Yeah, so going back to our opinions, the Rashba said that you're allowed to do any Jirabanan. Again, quoting quoting our Gemara in, in his trivia quotes, our Gemara, Makam Rabbanan. The Ramban is more finicky, and he says that you can do the Rabbanan as long as it's done with a Shinoi. And depending on how you read the Ramban, he kind of makes it sound like you can do any action as long as it's done with a Shinoi. And the psychology that we said of the Ramban, legal philosophy of the Ramban, quoted vis-a-vis the Ketos Shulchan, he said it's because we're not we're really afraid that you'll get habituated to doing this. And so later on, our Xer, so to speak, is that you do it in a way that later on you won't end up doing it, um, which is kind of a, I, I thought it was really insightful because when you're reading it, it seems like this odd mismatch of, of, of legal philosophy. It's like, why? And he finally really puts it black and white, which is really beautiful to see. All right, so now we're going to go back to our original vignettes and we're going to analyze it in the, in, with the information that we've had before. Um, so your spouse has a migraine or a right, community member has a migraine. There's no Motrin. You want to get Motrin from a neighbor or you want to get some medication from your, from your doctor bag um, and you carry it in the back of your hands. Is this allowed or not allowed? Um, so it's funny. I think when I originally approached this case, I didn't even discuss the back of your hands, but I assumed that was put in there as like you're doing it as a Shinoi, right? Yeah. And, okay. and I actually want to take this as a jumping off point to, to, to describe a few other ways that it's described to, to be able to carry something. So if you're unable to carry to, to carry it in a non-normative way, back of your hands is literally just a direct translation from the Gemara, uh, which is really the way the mission describes it. Another way that the Shema Shabbos also writes that you, if you're wearing a hat on Shabbos, you put it under your hat and use the hat kind of as a, as a you basically carry it with your head. Um, another way to do it is to, um, you know, carry it under your arm, kind of like a, a book you would you would carry kind of under your arm. Um, a bunch of different ways to do it, and that would make all of this kind of a derabanan. Even in a case, by the way, where there's a derisor shravan, you know, potentially on however you pass it. Um, so in those cases, you'd be allowed, right? Because again, we're dealing with a migraine. Migraine is chayshim besakana. Person's bedridden. Um, you're doing a Durabanan, and either it's a Durabanan done with a Shinai, right? Like, like we described before, the Ram, even the Ramban says that's allowed, or it's a straight Durabanan, and that the Rashba allows. So in that case, you would you definitely you definitely have both of these you know, venues of Heter to, to, to rely on. So that would be allowed. Okay, so now this next case is definitely a, a, more, a more engaging case. So in, in this case, we had a, a little bit of a difficulty breaking apart. So her treatment, so your, your grandmother has rheumatoid arthritis, you need to get her medication. She doesn't have medication. You basically go get a refill at your local pharmacy. Are you allowed to go? You know, we're assuming there's no Arab, but even if there wasn't Arab, you're gonna have to go. You're gonna have to go into the Walgreens. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to request it. You're gonna have to get a copay. You're gonna have to be, you know, use a computer and potentially sign for it. Uh, sign for it using an electronic, uh, you know, chart. Um, are, is this allowed or not allowed? So, and we we broke it apart. And I think, Mark, how how did you break it apart last time? Um, okay, so just uh, I think we, we did a good job of, of going step by step of what you would need to do. Um, so the first thing was leaving the house and you're going to have to carry whatever money that you have to go in order to, to pay the copay. So we had the issue of carrying. We also had the issue of like, if you're not allowed to do selling on and buying on Shabbos, then the money itself can, I didn't speak that out, but the money itself can become muxa depending if that would be a derisa. But so just with those, the carrying, um, we said really it's unlikely that it's a Rosh Hashanah. So it's likely that this, this in general, without changing anything is only a Darabanan. Um, so then you would be like, okay, to do that. I mean, ideally there should generally, you should generally be finding a way to do it with a Shinoi, but I'm not sure that carrying money, I guess carrying a credit card, like you said, maybe if you have a hat and you do it with a Shinoi, then you're really fine. Um, and then we said, 
So then we actually clarified that selling and buying things on Shabbos is not Daraisa. So there you go. Darabunan again. Um, I don't know that you'd be able to pay with something Darabunan, but that, that may fall into the category um, of like a, where a time where a Shina can't be done. But since it's Darabunan, we cleared that. Um, we also mentioned going in, opening the electronic doors. We knew that was Darabunan right away. Again, not something you'd really be able to do with the Shinoi. So, I mean, I don't know. I, it seems like the Shinoi conversation is a little more complicated. <laughs> so I think that's something that uh, really goes beyond the scope of what we're discussing, but it should be discussed with, with Arav. Um, but if you really can't do a Shinoi and it's Darabunan, you're good with that as well. And then uh, the payment, same thing. You're using electronics, you're doing the payment. Those are all Darabunan. So if you, if you can do a Shinoi, you're really clear because it's Darabunan and a Shinoi and this patient is a Cholosha Imbo Sakana because they're sick enough, then this would all really be allowed. And, and then <laughs> it's funny to say it out loud because when I first saw this case, I, I was sure there's no way, absolutely no way if my grandmother came to my apartment for Shabbos and said that she needed a medication from a pharmacy that I would think for a second to go to the pharmacy and buy her medication. Um, so it's pretty amazing. And, and honestly, all these cases I kind of got from uh, and I, I, I cleared it with the Talmud of at the same time who helped compile the safer. And I, I, I did that because it was, again, it was also really, it was, it was non-intuitive. <laughs> so many, like I understood the words on the page and I understood that the Puskim are saying that. I just like, really? I've never seen that done. Um, all right. And here, here's another outlandish case that I found in not outlandish, another, another case that just felt very odd in Shabbos. Um, so the case was someone gives you a call on Shabbos. I'm not critical, but I'm in pain. Are you allowed to take a taxi to them as a, as a, as a medical professional and, and, and just check them out? Right. You're in, in the assumption. You don't even know if they're. So he says, you're allowed to go. You're allowed to come back. Um, his only issue is how are you going to pay the taxi driver? So he says, because what he's worried about is you're not going to be able to take the change back. So, Honestly, this is kind of an interesting case. It's worth reading, and it's really worth reading the whole chapter in Shabbos Kelsa. And you, you can find the sources all on the, on the PowerPoint.